Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Preserve and protect your health by listening live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, everyone. Today is July 16th, 2014. We have a very special show today. We're all going to learn how to eat well to be well. This is a subject that comes up all the time, and it's going to be handy even for those who wish to lose some weight. Our guest is Myra Desi. She's a certified nutrition educator, a real food advocate, and the author of the very, very good book, The Pantry Principle, How to Read the Label and Understand What's Really in Your Food. For those of you who can't stay tuned in to our program for the entire 50 minutes, I invite you to listen to a rebroadcast or a podcast that would be available through iTunes or through this channel. And now let me bring on to our show, Myra. Hello, Myra. Hi, Denise. Actually, I'd, I'd like to make a small correction if I may. It's Mira. Okay, no problem. I have so many names I have to to learn. I it takes know, me a while. I know, and and it's an easy one to uh, for people to make that mistake. Okay, very good. I'd like to start my show out with asking my guests how they got on the path that they're on today. Well, my path actually was uh, sort of a long time in coming, but the simplified version is I got really, really sick. And at one point in my life was so ill that I was unable to function well in my day-to-day life by changing my food and, and what I was eating. I was able to regain my health and able to get back to leading the life I wanted to be leading. And ultimately, it actually led me to go back to school, learn all about nutrition and go on to do this for a career. Well, we're very pleased to have you with us today. Well, thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. So let's talk about what you have learned. Share it with our listeners. I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that it's not just what we eat, although that certainly is very important, but more than that, it's what's in what we eat. That's a very good point. 
So let's go through well, what you know. I, I think we don't. We we often are misled into thinking that it's all about the calories or all about specific food groups. And for some parts of what we do, it certainly is about those things. But even more than that, there are items hidden in our food which truly contribute to ill health and can overwhelm our body and and make us sick. What type of foods? Well, it can be in any range of foods. The, The additives that I'm speaking about are specifically things like MSG or high fructose corn syrup, chemical ingredients such as artificial sweeteners, colors, preservatives, all those things can really impact our health and have a significant effect on our mood as well, actually. Yeah, and we're not even aware that it's affecting us in so many many ways. Right, exactly, exactly. It's, it's, it, and, and it's something that we're not taught to look at. I think that, you know, that's the biggest challenge. We grow up learning about food and certainly learning several food myths, such as a calorie is a calorie is a calorie. And mm-hmm. we, we don't learn to really examine what we're putting in our body because we're told that, oh, it doesn't really matter. You can eat whatever you want. Just eat less and exercise more and you'll be healthy. <laughs> Boy, don't we all wish that that was the case. <laughs> so in your book, you talk about the seven simple rules. Would you like to cover those with the audience? Sure. You know, one of the things that I think is challenging for a lot of people, it can be very difficult to get started on making some of these changes because there's so much information to cover. So I have my seven simple rules, and I feel this is because it really sort of enables you as you master the steps to begin to take more and more control of your food. So the first one is, do you have to look it up? If if you are reading the nutrition label, and I certainly encourage everybody to do that, you want to be looking at the ingredient panel. If you come across words that you don't know what they are and you have to go running for a dictionary... You probably just want to avoid the dictionary and put it back on the shelf. <laughs> and why is that, um, though? Why is that? Because most of them mm-hmm. are chemicals. You know, if you if you have to look it up and it's something like a sulfate potassium, you don't really know what that is. We We understand what the real food pieces are. If it says that it's a banana or it's got kale in it or it's, got rice in it. Those are real food words that we certainly understand when we start getting sure. into chemical compounds that we don't understand, then that that means that it's been processed, often highly processed, and that mm-hmm. is not a great choice. Yeah. Why uh, did next, we start doing that? Oh, sorry, Have you ahead. run across that? Have you run across Have run why across we started um, putting chemicals in the foods in a you know for the highly processed foods it it obviously must be for um keeping the foods longer right it is it's it's for convenience because when you take a whole food it only lasts so long 
if you can do something to it that will make it last longer, then it becomes more profitable, if you will, because it can sit on the shelf longer. And also don't forget that going back several generations, people used to cook a lot of things from scratch every day. And as we began to hand more and more of our mealtime preparation over to food manufacturers and let them make the food, we had to find ways to make it last longer. That doesn't mean it's healthier. It's just that was the, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's where that came from. Hmm. That's really good to know. So what's the, the second rule? The second, the second rule is, does it have a number? And I'm fond of saying real food does not grow by numbers. Uh, there's no such thing as Apple 64. It just doesn't exist. But red dyes and blue dyes and some of the, you know, potassium, sorry, not potassium, polysorbate 80, all of those things, if they have a number after it, it means it's, it's got chemicals in it. And we don't okay. want to eat those because many of those chemicals are really bad for us, especially the colors. Those can have a very significant impact for people who have attention-related disorders, children with ADD or ADHD. And fortunately, they're very easy to ignore. Mm-hmm. Now, for those people who are in Europe, they tend to use e-numbers, so a lot of their food is numbered. Here in America, we're very fortunate that they they just use numbers for those particular substances. Oh, okay. It makes it very easy one? to ignore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The third rule is, does it have four or more syllables? I will tell you there are some exceptions to this. For example, macadamia has four syllables, and macadamias are certainly (laughs) very delicious and very healthy. But for the majority of ingredients in the food, if it's got four or more syllables, chances are it's some kind of a chemical compound, and we don't want to eat it. And then moving ahead, uh, the next rule is, is it unpronounceable? And again, this is one of those, you know, some of these rules require you to think about them, but once you do intuitively, you begin to understand them. So when quinoa first became popular, a lot of people didn't know how to pronounce it. You know, they would say quinoa or, or quinoa. They, like, I heard a lot of mispronunciations. And now many, many people know it's quinoa. It's a grain or a pseudo-grain, actually. It doesn't have gluten in it. It's high in protein, and it's very good for us. Uh And that's great. But there are a lot of other things that appear in the, you know, in the ingredient panel that we don't know how to pronounce. And those are are things that we want to avoid. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next one is actually one of my favorite ones is, does it end in A-T-E? I like to say if it ends in A-T-E, don't E-A-T it. Um, <laughs> again, <laughs> again, there are some examples, that exceptions rather to this, because pomegranate ends in A-T-E, and that's certainly very delicious and very healthy. But most of the things that end in A-T-E tend to be sorbates, gallates, different kinds of chemicals, again, that are just not a healthy choice. 
So we, we really, when we're, when we're working our way through the list, it's just requiring us to really think about our food. Sure. Um, is, it, is it enriched is something else that we look for. And I'd, I'd like to take sort of a little step sideways and explain the difference between enriched and fortified because many Great. people don't know what that is. Sure. Fortified is when they add something to a food that, that wasn't in that food before. Um, if you have, I've seen milk lately where they say omega-3 fortified milk. And when you read it, the omega-3 comes from fish. So they're adding fish oil to milk because somebody has okay. decided we need more omega-3s. We do, but maybe not in our milk. <laughs> so that's fortified. Enriched is when you take a food, you break it down, and then you need to put back some of what you took out. The most common example of this would be wheat. When we process wheat, we take a lot of the ingredients out of it. Um, Almost 22 different nutrients are removed. And they discovered that if they don't add back some of the B vitamins and uh, some iron, that people can get very, very sick. So they put them back, they enrich it by adding them back in. And that's why one of my suggestions for people is if it says enriched anything on the label, run the other way. Mm. (laughs) And then the last one is, is it all capital letters and not words? If when you're Mm -hmm. looking at the label, you see a string of capital letters, TBHQ, EDTA, BHT, BHA, those kinds of things, those are abbreviations for chemical compounds. And so it's very simple to go, I don't want to eat that, and put it back on the shelf. Mm. Wow. So let's talk about the top three non-food items that we see over and over and over again. Absolutely. And again, you know, one of the things for people to remember is that there is an awful lot in our food that we really don't want to consume. So we have Mm -hmm. to break it down and take it step by step. The seven simple rules is a great way to get started. The top three is certainly another great thing to do. We're, We're just breaking it down into smaller bits so that we can more easily get a handle on it. And the biggest culprit that I really, really want to encourage people to get rid of, which actually appears in both, is artificial colors. They're just so bad for our brain, and they're made from petrochemicals. They, the reason that they're there is because they make the food colorful with mm-hmm. a saturated, consistent color. And we are programmed to see colorful food as being ripe and to equate that with being delicious. But there's no fruit root tree out there. (laughs) And so that is not something that we should be seeking out. We should instead Mm -hmm. be seeking things like apples or eggplants or blueberries or, you know, lemons or star fruit, anything that has those beautiful colors that actually come in nature and not that oversaturated, you know, fifth color that comes from chemicals. Mm -hmm. Well, you talk about how color sometimes will tell our brain to more or less override our taste buds. Yes, yes. 
there there are there have been studies which are very interesting where when they dye food different colors we actually associate with certain flavors and it can manipulate our palate which is kind of interesting oh my gosh How like about we just that? expect it to taste a certain way because it's a particular color and for mm-hmm. those people who have sensitive palates if it doesn't taste that way they kind of go well what what happened <laughs> because there's a disconnect between their mouth and their brain, uh, which is kind of fascinating. And I did see one study, which I thought was very interesting. Um, It was very small scale, um, where they dyed food uh, blue, I believe. It was either blue or purple. And but it was a color that didn't really belong in nature, and they dyed unusual things like Chinese food and things like that. And the people had a hard time eating it because visually it was so unappealing because the shapes and the color didn't go together. So, but if they closed their eyes and ate it, it tasted fine. (laughs) Our, Our programming is amazing, isn't it? It really is. It really is. Another thing that we really... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say another thing that we really want to watch out for, and this one actually is gaining great strides. It still exists in our food supply, unfortunately, but more and more people are beginning to realize just how harmful it is to our health, is high fructose corn syrup. And I know we've all seen those really silly commercials. (laughs) And then on on top of that, on top of it, they're genetically modifying it now. That's right. The, the corn comes from genetically modified corn, which is not a great choice for health either. And, and one of the, the challenges to our body when we consume high fructose corn syrup is that it all has to pass through our liver in order for our body to process it. Fructose is only processed by the liver. And if we consume too much of it, then our body goes, oh, we have to save some of this for later. We can't get to all of it right now. It sort of shunts it over and turns it into fat. And if we keep doing that, we just keep getting fatter and fatter and fatter. We also wind up putting enormous strain and stress on our liver. There is a a health condition called non-alcoholic fatty liver syndrome, and it's essentially a fatty liver disease from people who don't drink alcohol because they're consuming so much fructose that their liver suffers the consequences. Among other things. (laughs) Right, right. So it's definitely not a good choice. Again, easy to find on the label. And and that's one of the great things about that ingredient panel. As consumers, we really have so much that we can do to take back control of our food. And while the ingredient panel does manipulate and deceive in certain ways, for the majority of what we want to do, the information is supposed to be presented right there on that label. And by flipping that package over and looking at it, we can take back control. We all know how damaging sugars are to our health. And you talk a lot about you know, regular sugars and then complex sugars. And then you also talk about artificial sweeteners. Mm -hmm. Let's do a little bit of um, 
educating the you know our listeners on where these are found and what can be done to uh, to have better health without them sure you know sugar sugar is actually very very readily available and it comes under a whole bunch of different names we're we're used to thinking of sugar as sugar mostly white sugar or brown sugar sadly many people don't realize that brown sugar is often nothing more than white sugar with a little molasses added for moisture so there's not wow. it's not really <laughs> yeah anything that's better for us and white sugar is so refined and so pure that our body breaks it down in next to no time it floods our neuroreceptors and really just turns into it it's it's excess calories that our body consumes very very quickly when you yes sugar is is known to be highly addictive and i have seen some studies that indicate that it is in the same category as drugs when it comes to the addictive nature of sugar especially you know white processed sugars when you're looking at a label there are a couple of different things to keep in mind when it comes to sugar one is that manufacturers and this is part of where the label gets manipulated they want to add sugar to foods because it tastes sweet we're programmed to see sweet as being beneficial and enjoyable and so we equate that with making it something that we we like um so they when they add it however frequently they may choose kinds of sugar on the ingredient label we look at the list of ingredients in order the more of something that is in a food the higher up on the ingredient panel that item appears if you don't want sugar to be your number one ingredient, you can break it up by putting in some honey, some molasses, some dextrose, and maybe some corn syrup solid. You've got a number of different things in there, and they appear lower and lower down on the list. But when you really read the label, you begin to realize mm-hmm. that they're all different forms of sugar. Mm. It's amazing. And then, of course, as we touched on briefly, uh, there are a number of sugars that are often uh, genetically modified. There, uh, almost any sugar that comes from corn, unless it's organic, is mm-hmm. genetically modified. And then a lot of beet sugar is also genetically modified. Yes. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. How about mm-hmm. artificial sweeteners? Artificial sweeteners are really not a great choice. And and part of the reason for that is obviously it can have a significant impact on our gut health. Uh, if you eat too much of it, obviously it can have a laxative effect. But even more than that, it, it can kind of overbalance our gut and, and not be supportive or helpful to our, our intestinal tract. But the other thing that happens frequently is that it bypasses our natural calculator, if you will, that's in our brain. 
So we eat these things that are very sweet tasting, but the calories don't come along with it. And I have seen some articles that appear to indicate that there are some people who wind up actually eating more if they consume a lot of artificial sweeteners because their body's trying to make up for the calories it thinks it didn't get. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Listeners, we're talking with Mira Desi. She's the author of the of the book The Pantry Principle, How to Read the Label and Understand What's Really in Your Food if you're just tuning in. I wanted to cover how to spend wisely when you're at the grocery store because a lot of us want to buy organic foods, but they cost so much more now than ever before. How do you know what you can purchase that doesn't have the heavy pesticides versus the ones that do to cut on our food budgets? Food budget is certainly a huge issue. And I think one of the challenges is that grocery stores, of course, want to sell you products. And they've learned that if they slap the word organic on it, people automatically think it's better. And that's not to say that organic food isn't good for you. It is. And there are a lot of reasons why I advocate eating a lot of organic food. But when you have to make budgetary decisions, you have to decide what works for you and what doesn't. A couple of different categories where I think it is very important to purchase organic, uh, you talked about pesticides, and the pesticide residue is huge. There's an organization called the Environmental Working Group, and every year they go through all of the data and they mm-hmm. put together a list of the 12 fruits and vegetables that are most highly contaminated by pesticides. And they do they wonderful also, work. They do a fabulous job, and they give this list away for free. You can get it on your smartphone. You can print it out on a wallet card and take it to the grocery store with you, or you can actually... It's not free if you buy it, but you can actually buy brochures that have it as well. Mm-hmm. But they want this information yeah, to be readily available. Yeah, yeah, and it and it's really tough to remember in the fruits and vegetable area which ones you can buy that are non-organic. Sure, especially because every year there's always one or two minor changes to the list. This <laughs> makes it very difficult to stay on top of. So those 12 fruits and vegetables would certainly be important to purchase organic because they're the ones that are are so contaminated. Apples are always very high up on the list. They do and celery. Also have, and celery, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. They do also have the Clean 15, which are the fruits and vegetables that are not as likely to be contaminated by pesticides. Uh, an example that I like to share with people is at my local grocery store, Organic mm-hmm. bananas are often 20 to 24 cents a pound more than conventional than uh, yeah conventional bananas, non-organic bananas. Yeah. yeah. 
but they're not heavy uptake fruits for pesticides. So Hmm. if it's the pesticide residue that you're worried about, you certainly don't need to spend the extra money on organic bananas. Hmm. Corn, however, does appear on on the clean 15 list, and I move it over to the dirty dozen list because of the genetic modification. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> I'm curious what else is on the list. In terms of the dirty dozen? No, the clean 15. <laughs> oh, the clean 15 list. The clean 15 list generally tends to be those things that have a uh, a skin or that are in some way uh, peelable or protected so that you don't, you don't need to do that. You, you don't need to peel them. And one of the, you know, one of the things to look at is if you, for example, pineapples or oranges or those kinds of things, you have to remove the outer coating before you can eat it. So that generally doesn't have to be purchased organically. Some of them Uh. are on there because they simply don't take up a lot of pesticide in their growth habits, and that would be things Mm -hmm. like eggplant or asparagus, those kinds of things. Okay, okay. So if somebody wants to reinvent their pantry, what are your recommendations on how they start? I think a great way to start is with the seven simple rules. And in the pantry principle, which is available on Amazon, I actually have an example of someone's pantry. Kind of a funny story. When I told her I wanted to use it in a book, she said, oh, no. And I said, I promise you, nobody will know it is your pantry except you and me. I won't even tell my (laughs) editor. (laughs) That's funny. She made so many changes. But in the beginning, it was certainly very challenging. So I list everything that's in there, her dry goods, her freezer, her refrigerator. And I show examples of what it is you're looking at. What's the food? What do you need to know about it? And what is a reasonable change to make? And then there is a page after that where people can start to write down their own changes. So starting with the seven simple rules and then going through that and mm-hmm. looking at, because many, I mean, she had a very standard American pantry. Many of mm-hmm. the things that were in there are certainly things that people are going to look at it and go, oh, I have that in my pantry. Sure. And and then they'll understand why and step-by-step step, then begin to make make that change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. You recommend making um, your own bean sprouts? I do. There, there are some things that I think it's, it's so easy to make them. I have mm-hmm. a great recipe section in the book that talks about making things such as bean sprouts or how to make some really delicious dips or some great soups, things that are really easy to do. And if you can do those things, you avoid a lot of the chemicals. Soup, for example, tends to be highly contaminated with chemicals because it's liquid. 
It has soft ingredients in it, and they they need it to be able to sit on the shelf for a long time. But it's so easy to make at home, and if you make a big batch, shove some of it in the freezer and save it for later. Mhm, mhm. You know, we were talking about bread earlier on. Of course, bread really isn't very good for us. Um, I, I, there's a saying: uh, the more bread, the sooner you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was really funny, but um, if you, it's hard to give it up, let's face it. <laughs> it's a nice staple to have. You've got a really great recipe in your book on making your own. I do, and this particular recipe for bread is very easy, very simple to make. It does have gluten in it. You know, there are increasing numbers of people who need to eat gluten-free, but for those who can have gluten, this is a, a great way to get started making your own. Bread tends to have at the grocery store a lot of dough conditioners and preservatives and other things in it, and, and it is the most enriched product out there because it's so hard to find a bread that's made from whole grain flour. So you really want to look at what your eating choices are and where you might be able to make some modifications. And if if you're someone who eats a lot of bread, you, you probably do want to reconsider that and look at your dietary habits, but then also you may want to look at what else you're taking along with it. You know, we're so used to thinking of bread as just being bread, but really it's a complex, on the grocery store shelf, it's a complex group of, of chemicals and ingredients brought together. Made at home, yeah. it's really just a few mm-hmm. simple ingredients. That's very true. Listeners, you'll also find in her book a really hand, handy um, chart on what are acceptable sugars that are found in our food and then the less desirable sugars. So that is a really excellent aid when you and you can take it to the grocery store with you. It's also a great way to begin to learn to look at how much sugar we consume. I think many people aren't aware of exactly how much they get and to when you start to examine that, you realize that you're taking in far more than you think you are and can then begin to make changes. And again, it comes back to there's so much information, there's so much out there, it's a lot to do just one step at a time. If your choice is to get rid of the top three, great, focus on that, work towards that, if you want to work on your sugars, that's wonderful. If you want to work on making healthier, organic choices at the grocery store, wherever you want to start, just remember that it's one step at a time because over time all those little changes do add up. They do. And when you're looking to completely change your diet, you really do have to do it one step at a time because otherwise it becomes so overwhelming that you end up not doing anything different at all. <laughs> so, or, or you wind up becoming so 
overwhelmed by it. There's actually a health condition called orthorexia, and it's it's not a diagnostic term. They don't use it therapeutically, but it is a condition where you become so fearful about your food that you can't go out to eat, you can't eat anything except that, you know, you're highly obsessed with the perfect diet. And we also don't want that to happen. We don't want people to become that overwhelmed by their food that it's not enjoyable anymore. Food is meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be savored. Well, you know, a lot of people have really busy lives. They come home from work. They're tired. What would you recommend they start preparing kind of just to kind of get in into the flow of changing um, their eating habits? You know, one of my favorite tools is the crock pot. It's so great because you can actually set it up the night before. Most of them now have removable crocks. You can make your meal in the crock pot, put it in the mm-hmm. refrigerator in the morning, pull it out, pop it in, turn it on, leave, come home, and your meal is cooked. And if oh, you're taking the time to put healthy ingredients in there, mm-hmm. all you need to do is maybe saute a few vegetables or throw together a quick salad, and you've got a great meal all ready to go. I so agree with you on that. I make some amazing soups with my crock pot. My favorite recipe for my crock pot, honestly, is a chicken. One whole chicken, and I put a lemon into the cavity with some rosemary, some thyme, stuff a little bit of garlic under the skin, and then I put in some broth in the, in the crock, and put the lid on and let it cook all day long. It practically melts off the bones, and it is so flavorful and so delicious. Making me hungry. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting close to dinner. My stomach is growling. (laughs) Well, now you know what you're having tomorrow night. (laughs) (laughs) I'll definitely give that one a try. And the other thing is Why don't you tell our, our listeners again um, the name of your book, where sure. it can be purchased, if you have a website, what that is, and where it is? Absolutely. The book is to read the label and understand what's really in your food. It is available on Amazon. That's a great place to go check it out. And then I do have a website. It is grainsandmore.com, G-R-A-I-N-S-A-N-D-M-O-R-E.com. And if they go to my website, they can find my blog, and I do blog fairly regularly, so there's a lot of information there to go through. But also I have a great offer. I have an ebook called Eating Out, Eating Healthy. And when you sign up for my newsletter, you get a free copy of this ebook. And it talks about some good strategies to help you make healthier choices when you eat out. I even break it down by types of restaurants. So if you're going to a Mexican restaurant, there is an eat this, not that kind of scenario going on there. Or Italian oh, or wonderful. Chinese. Yeah, it's a really, really great little ebook. It's my gift. 
at grainsandmore.com. Just sign up for the newsletter. Oh, that's just wonderful. Well, I just want to take this opportunity to thank you so much, Mira, for coming on to my show. I've learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Well, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed talking with you. I have with you as well. Well, listeners, we're running out of time, so please join us again next week. And again, we'll have another wonderful show. Thank you again, Mira Desi, for joining us. Take care. You too. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? Thank you, listeners, for joining our show today. The information on this show, it's not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional, and it's not intended as medical advice. It is intended as sharing the knowledge and information from our guest and the experience of Denise and her community. We encourage you to make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional of your choice. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Thank you. Good night.